Hey, what's happening? And welcome to episode 11 of the GCSAA podcast, presented in partnership with our friends at Bear Environmental Science. I'm your host, Scott Hollister, the editor-in-chief of GCM Magazine, and I'm glad that you've decided to check out this episode of the podcast. If you haven't already, I'd encourage you to subscribe to the podcast wherever it is you get your podcasts, whether that's on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever, and rate and review the podcast on those same services. It really helps the cause when you do that, so please subscribe, rate, and review if you can. I'd also encourage you to check out the archive of past episodes of the GCSA podcast. Recent episodes have included everything from interviews with Steve Mona from the We Are Golf Coalition and LPGA Tour agronomist John Miller to discussions of the Golf Industry Show, National Golf Day, and GCSA's first green initiative. So if you missed any of those, please check them out through all the same outlets that I mentioned before. This episode of the GCSA podcast is going to be a bit of a greatest hits edition as we work on a few really cool things that we've got planned for upcoming episodes. So we're going to take you back today to one of the very first episodes that we did and a great conversation that we had with Matt Schaefer. Matt, who uh, for 17 years served as the superintendent at Marion Golf Club in Ardmore, Pennsylvania, which is where he served as the host superintendent for the 2013 U.S. Open. Matt's now retired and we talk with him in this conversation about his career, what he's uh, doing now, and some of his thoughts on the industry and the changes, uh, both good and bad, that he's seen in his uh, nearly 40 years uh, in the business. Matt's one of my favorites. Uh, this was a great conversation that I had with him, so I'm happy to share with share it with you once again. As always, we want to uh, thank the good people over at Bear Environmental Science for their continuing support of the podcast. Bear is a company committed to helping customers thrive through a combination of great technical expertise and innovative solutions like Bear's Stress Guard fungicide products. You can learn more about Bear and the Stress Guard product line by going to environmentalscience.bear.us/stressguard. Once again, that is environmentalscience.bear.us/stressguard. So without further ado, let's dive into episode 11, our greatest hits episode of the GCSA podcast and my conversation from last fall with Mr. Matt Schaefer. Hope you enjoy it. Well, we're honored today to be joined by one of my favorite guys in the industry, Mr. Matt Schaefer. Matt is a uh, 33-year GCSA member, and most of you out there might know him as a longtime superintendent at Marion Golf Club in Ardmore, Pennsylvania, the uh, Philadelphia area. Uh, Matt is now enjoying retirement. We'll get into that uh, just a little bit. But he's uh, Matt, uh, for those of you who don't know, Matt's a Penn State grad, 1974, proud Penn State grad. His first job was at uh, Media Heights Golf Club in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. But he uh, did a stint at Augusta National under Mr. Paul R. Latshaw, uh, a previous old Tom Morris award winner. We'll talk a little bit uh, about Mr. Latshaw and his influence on Matt. Uh, spent some time at Woodcrest Country Club in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, also the Country Club of Cleveland in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, before he headed over to Marion in 2002 and uh, hosted uh, Walker Cup in 2002, the U.S. Amateur in 2005, and famously the 2013 U.S. Open won uh, by, uh, who won that, uh, Matt? I'm blanking on the name. Justin Rose. Justin Rose, of course he did. And um, 
another part of Matt's thing that we'll get into is he's uh, has been really forward thinking in terms of environmental management of golf uh, golf courses. He is the 2012 uh, ELGA winner in the national private uh, category. And for those of you not in the know, ELGA stands for the Environmental Leaders in Golf Awards. Matt, we've had the uh, good fortune of knowing each other since I've been in the business um, some 20 years ago. You have been retired, um, uh, I guess, what, uh, February 2017? Is that when you uh, retired from Marion? That's correct, yep. Uh, how has retirement been treating you? Obviously, it's been a while, and I know you're you're pretty busy. Busy, but do you uh, do you ever miss uh, the day to day grind of being a golf course superintendent? No, I feel bad. I don't want to go over the top and gush about how good it is because most of the guys listening are still working. That's right. <laughs> so, but it is. Uh, I don't really miss it. I mean, I gave it everything I had for forty four years, and I left nothing behind. Well, and I think that's uh, for most of the guys out there listening. Uh, would they'd probably want to say the the same thing? And I I think in I don't know maybe this is just a, a, a nature of of the business, but you give so much to your golf course, and you you invest so much time and effort in, into the maintenance of that. I think that when people do have the opportunity to step away, like you were you were able to do. Um, I, I think that maybe it's, uh, it's the ability to make a kind of a clean break and try other things is, has, uh, must be refreshing for people. And, and you've been one who's, who's tried a lot of different things. So kind of, kind of recap the folks, what kind of things are you, are you doing? I know you're doing some consulting work now you're working with on link golf. What are, what are, what's holding your interest right now? Well, the one thing I knew I'd miss the most when I left the industry is my peers, my fellow superintendents and, uh, and all the people that helped me out all these years, people like yourself, Rhett, all the vendors. So I wanted to stay in touch with them, but I knew if I didn't do something in the industry, that would be nearly impossible with everybody's busy schedule. So I started a small company. Uh, I didn't really know what I was going to do with it. Uh, it was, I've always been kind of a minimalist, a minimal water, minimal chemical guy. So I called it minimalistic agronomic techniques, and the acronym for that is MAT. So I figured I'd always be able to rem- remember the name of my company. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so anyways, I, uh, I'm i actually a brand ambassador for three different companies. One's a f- really uh, innovative fertilizer company, which is a complete closed loop in the environmental cycle. They take food and any kind of digestive waste, and they turn it into fertilizer, wow. which is safe to be used on any type of food. And then... Uh, so consequently, you know, once once again, once that food's consumed, the waste from that that's generated can be turned back into fertilizer. So it's a complete closed loop. The name of that company is Anuvia. I work for a pond company that's a biological solution, no chemicals to control algae. And then, uh, and then of course, I work with OnLink, uh, which is a software company that will help uh, with a program that helps consolidate all the data. So superintendents can make better decisions in regards to their day-to-day operation and hopefully minimize their inputs to grow better grass. Now, with your, your affiliation with OnLink, you were, you were also a customer, weren't you, in the early days of that company? You actually used that product at Marion. That's correct. Originally, I, uh, Walt Norley and I founded that company together, but, you know, I didn't do my due diligence and found out that, in fact, it was a conflict of interest to own a company and then do business at Marion. So 
with that being said, I decided to use it instead of own it. And, uh, and we were in the early stages of that product, and it was really, really good. But uh, in the two years since then, it has become very robust. And uh, he's getting ready for a, a new version to be released in uh, most likely late spring of this year. I, I find that interesting, and, I don't, and I'm not sure if listeners will, will think the same way, but um, uh, you obviously had a long career in golf course management, and um, I don't want to say many guys are get stuck in their ways or, or you know, what they first learned when they came into the industry kind of guides them throughout, but, but you've, been, you've been one who's, who's been really open to innovation, and really OnLink is, is in essence a kind of an on, uh, a startup tech company focused in, in golf course management. Um, you talk about some of the other uh, environmental uh, things that you embraced in your career, and now again, as, as you were in retirement, uh, what was it? What is it about those those companies and, and trying new things and experiment experimenting um, that appeals to you? And and do you feel like others in 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 golf need to in, in as superintendents need to begin exploring some of those new things and and, and try to break out of their boxes a little bit? That'd be great if everybody could. I think there's, obviously, there's early adopters. I was a poster child for that. I, I think that's possibly in your DNA. I, I uh, like, I know Paul Latshaw's that way. Um, and then there's gentlemen that are much more conservative but equally successful. They, they let us be the cannon fowler, so to speak. But <laughs> I, right. I think, uh, you know, I don't know that anybody can just do that. I mean, first off, our jobs, we don't have any job security. So taking those kind of uncalculated risk is, uh, I don't know if it's its always prudent. But uh, I think, uh, you know, the first guys in the pool, you know, they, they're the ones that always get them, have the most risk. But uh, certainly innovation and always being able to figure out a solution for a problem that didn't necessarily have a solution was fun and kept me on the leading edge i would have to say yeah and i'm i'm curious um when you got to marion uh obviously a, a historic venue um one of one of america's great tracks and uh a, a very strong membership there you didn't you really embraced a lot of a lot of innovation there um, obviously on link but but as much with uh, your your maintenance practices and some of the environmental uh, things you did, and you spoke about the kind of the minim- minimalistic approach that that you took there. Um, how did that membership uh, w- was there? Was there a learning curve for the membership? Did they when you first started to try things? Uh, how did you kind of win over that membership? If you ever did win over the membership, but how did, how did you kind of go about that as you started to introduce those things at what is probably a pretty traditional uh, membership at Marion? Well, I've I've always been a good communicator. I mean, I have the gift of gab. I love people. So uh, for me, it wasn't a stretch. I mean, I had uh, my wife and I had lived in Cleveland for eight years at a great old club called the Country Club. Very, very exclusive. And truth be told, I just got bored out there. So um, I had moved my wife around for so many years that I actually started to work myself into this theory. You know, when I was first starting out in the business, I had no money. And yet I was able to produce unbelievable standards. So I started to revert back to some of those uh, those things that I did in the past. 
And then I just perfected that, and I had some good people helping educate me along the way, Len Conley, in regards to nutrition with organics. And so then I just started to tweak it and perfect it, and it, it just worked wonders at that club. And then when I went to Marion, I just I didn't have the intestinal fortitude to initiate it at that, right <laughs> off the right. bat because, simply put, I was I was intimidated by the facility. But then, you know, doing things the standard way, I wasn't getting the... Uh, the results that I wanted. So then I started talking first with my Greens chairman and the board of directors about this program that I had initiated in Ohio. And I gave them some, they knew some common members there and they reached out to them. And uh, so that's when I got the red light to uh, do those things. Now, for me, I'm, if you give me an inch, I'll take 50 miles. <laughs> so, you know, I pushed things pretty far out to the edge of the abyss at Marion with, you know, successful results. And everything was working really well, and then all of a sudden the dynamics of golf started to change. And the current group of players really, you know, the guys that hired me in the club that I started there with, they were all about firm and fast and didn't really care what it looked like. But in today's world, superintendents have even a greater challenge because they want it firm, fast, and green which kind of prompted the, uh, well, definitely it prompted the re- renovation that's currently almost finished by Paul B. Latshaw at Marion right now. So because with 100-year-old push-up greens, that's just really difficult right. to attain that. Right. Have you, I, I know that uh, when you initially announced your retirement, there was, uh, and, and you've, uh, as we mentioned, have had a long affiliation with the, the Latshaw family. Um have have you been back to see the renovation? Have you uh, has Paul B reached out to you for any guidance as as that project has rolled along? Uh, not really. I mean, you know, I have been back on a, several occasions, and he's done an unbelievable job. and And I think that was really part of the person that was going to take the reins uh, after I left. It was critical mass that they were comfortable in their own skin, so to speak, and had extensive experience with construction, which is really kind of a lost uh, attribute these days because golf courses aren't being built very much. But Paul had just finished a three-hole layout with Jason Day, so his and he worked for Jack Nicholas, who was always tweaking Muirfield. So that, along with the fact that he'd already been at Marion, made him the absolute perfect candidate for that position so i'm positive i couldn't have really offered him anything that he didn't already know <laughs> well well you mentioned um you know paul b his his father paul r latshaw you uh first uh, worked with at augusta national correct that's right he he threw me a life ring i was uh the first part of my life I worked in obscurity in the middle of the mountains because really my focus was hunting and fishing. <laughs> but uh, I found out real quickly that you need to make money. But unfortunately, you know, I didn't pay attention to numerous opportunities during the course of my career. And so I just decided it was one day that I was going to reach out for a big job and I never got an interview and I was totally appalled. So I went up and had a uh, a reality check with Dr. Deutsch, and he informed me that I didn't have a pedigree, which at the time I had no clue what that meant. But <laughs> he, in about five minutes, he got me tuned up. So, 
You know, it's just the perfect time, and I was so lucky to uh, have a wife that was willing to sell everything we owned and start over, and and a person like Paul that was gracious enough to give me a second chance. And I was there for six weeks and got an got an interview at a uh, really big club, and I turned it down. I got the interview, got the job, and turned it down simply because I knew I didn't know what I thought I knew. But in reality, it was a sad lesson and and the in the reality of our business there's so many great 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 golf course superintendents who never get the opportunity to really succeed it's just it's just the way it works sometimes you know no I, absolutely and I, in 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 your instance you got an opportunity uh to to mentor under one of the one of the best the business has ever ever seen and i know that you have uh, been keen to pass that on as Others, uh, when you were when you were still at Marion at these other clubs, uh, mentoring and helping new folks in the industry um, get a leg up has been really, really, really important to you. And uh, I, my assumption is that it's all just due to the impact that it had on your life. But but why why has mentoring been such a such a key uh, part of, of of your career and what you've tried to pass on to others? Well, unfortunately, you know, life throws you some. Hard inside curves, which incidentally I could never hit in baseball. <laughs> and uh, and so, you know, the very first one was my wife and I found out we couldn't have kids. So, and I love, I love working with young people. So this was the perfect uh, environment to be able to, you know, bring people in that are not necessarily sure what they want to do in life or, you know, help them find their right career path. And then those that have already selected uh, being a golf course superintendent, helping them hone their skills so they can be successful for a long career. So it was uh, it was both personal and professional for me. I got a great deal of enjoyment. The other thing is, I mean, it's a team sport. You know, a lot of what I get credit for really was a mutual effort among a lot of good people. If you foster young people to really have open mind and let their ideas flow without being without the fear of being criticized, oh man, it's amazing the things you can come up with in uh, in that kind of an environment. Yeah, that's uh, that's a testament to, to I mean, kind of the, your career there at Marion and some of the successes you had there. Talking again about, about Paul R. Uh, an old Tom Morris Award winner with GCSA a few years back, uh, when he was honored, the um, just the the, the Latshaw family, as as it were, that was on hand to to see him officially receive the award was pretty impressive. I had an opportunity to kind of wander into the uh, the reception before the event uh, where he actually. Um, uh, received the award and to, to call it a who's who in golf course management is is pretty accurate for someone who is also in that room and saw that all take place what did it mean for you to to see him be honored in that way well first off he's painfully modest he he uh in fact if anything he almost shuns any notoriety right. or uh accolades so uh so a lot of people will say, well, I don't really think he did that much. And yet a lot of people don't really understand or know what he really did. And so for uh, for those of us that were allowed to see all his innovations become, you know, he's the first, he was the very first guy, for instance, to develop fans in golf courses, you know, but he never, never tried to market right. that technology or right. anything like that. He just saw it as a 
solution to a difficult problem. And but there's 20 different things that he did that way, and he he helped lots and lots of people in their career. And and uh, he even told I was with him in Augusta, and Augusta was a it was a grind, and there was a lot of guys that really struggled. And and you know, and he'd just bring them in the office and say, "Look, you know, once you're in my chair, it's never going to get easier. It's going to get harder." You know, you're a young guy. This might be the perfect opportunity to change careers, and I would say 50% of them did, and and still are in touch with them. So, uh, for me, it was great to see him win that award, and and uh, he's done a lot for the industry, but the industry really doesn't know all he's done. You know what I mean? Right, absolutely. And we got our we had our own uh, insight into his. Uh, uh, just tells reluctance to the spotlight. Obviously, in in GCM, we featured him uh, on the cover of our December issue that year um, as the winner of the Old Tom, and so we had to coordinate things like interviews and and photo shoots. So, if you think he had trouble getting up on stage there, imagine uh, taking him out in a golf course with a photographer and their crew to flash and <laughs> lights and everything. And they turned out fantastic. We were super happy with them, but I'm sure I'm sure that wasn't one of his favorite days on. Uh, uh, on the docket. So. Well, we'll get you right back to our conversation with Matt Schaefer, but right now it's a time uh, for a word from our sponsor, and that means a word from the fine folks at Bear Environmental Science, the great sponsors uh, of the GCSA podcast. As you're well aware, um, it's uh, summertime. Summer is here, and that means a lot of good things for not only the golf industry, but for you personally, but it also means a few concerning things, and when it comes to your golf, uh, golf course, that means summer stress. Most superintendents have already taken preventative measures uh, to prepare for the tough summer conditions that are afoot, but even the best preparations can't fully prevent the inevitable effects of biotic and abiotic stresses. And the symptoms really won't let up anytime soon. We've still got a little ways to go until we reach the end of uh, summer conditions. But the good news is, it's not too late to do something for your turf, um, and that means turning to some of the great uh, stress guard uh, technology products offered by our friends at Bayer. They've got a lot of tips on managing your stomach stress, information on their product line uh, on their website, and that's at environmentalscience.bear.us slash stressguard. Once again, to uh, get tips on managing all that summer stress, visit environmentalscience.bear.us slash stressguard. Now, back to our conversation with Matt Schaefer. Uh, I wanted, before we wrap up here, Matt, again, I appreciate your time, and uh, as you and I have talked, we're going to have to make you a regular uh, a regular appearance because we could go on about all sorts of the state of the industry and all sorts of fun stuff. I wanted to uh, kind of give uh, people a, a, an insight. You mentioned hunting and fishing. How much of that are you getting to do now in retirement? Well, hunting season's just getting started. I've gone a little soft, you know. I mean, I uh, I love to go. My wife contends I get. I just take my guns for walks in the woods, and I think she's probably right. Yeah. right? <laughs> um, but we do a lot of fishing together, which is nice. We have a nice little home in Florida and. We have a boat, bass boats always in the water, twenty yards away. So that's that's always nice. So we do, I do quite a bit of fishing, and uh, and it's just always been a pastime that really calms me. I don't know how much more calm I can be. My heart's <laughs> liable to stop. I'm so chilled, but I'll try it. <laughs> well, and, and you're and you're also a, as I understand, a voracious reader, and and you you read a lot. What? Uh, and I, it, you said early on in your career, in a conversation with you earlier, um, that you used reading as to kind of decompress from the job. Uh, so maybe tell us a little bit about that and how you develop such an appetite for for reading. 
It really came from my mom and dad, you know. I mean, we were just, everyone in our family is a voracious feeder, a reader. We just, they didn't really want us sitting in front of the TV, so they, you know, they were very creative, and they found out what our interests were, and then they fed those interests with books. And so we all read. I'm, I'm probably the most in the family. I just, I just finished my hundred and first book here of the year, and wow. So I, but I, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I remember one time distinctly. It was uh, we were going through a bankruptcy at a project where I had grown it in and stayed to uh, maintain it. We ran out of money, and the whole place went under. It was a dark time in my life, and. Michener just came out with Centennial. I sat down on a Saturday evening, and I got up on a on Sunday evening, and I finished eleven hundred books and I, or eleven hundred pages, and I was ready to roll. Wow! So, so I read for enjoyment, not necessarily education. I do read twelve magazines, I guess, every month. But do you? Uh, uh, is there a is there a particular genre of book that you enjoy? A particular author that that's your favorite? Oh, if I get it onto an author, I just burn right through them, like Stephen King or C.J. Hooper or Mark Dotson or you know. I mean, if they they're all espionage adventure, you know, type whodunit, right. you know, trying to figure out. Some of them you got to rush to the end; you can't stand all the junk in the middle. I, sure. <laughs> I've speed. I've taken Evelyn Rudd's speed reading twice, which has its advantages and disadvantages, but you can really burn through some books. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, how, that's how you get to 101 by, uh, by mid-October in, in, in that's a year. That's right. Before I let you go, one story. I was doing, um, I was doing some research uh, in advance of this interview, just kind of refreshing myself, and I reread the uh, preview story that we ran. Uh, Howard Richmond wrote, uh, appeared in our uh, June 2013 uh, issue right before the U.S. Open. It was just kind of re-scanning through it, and I stumbled upon a story that I had forgotten um, when he when I remember I remembered it when he originally wrote it, but hadn't gone back to it. And so you're going to have to tell the listeners: Is it true that you wrecked a motorcycle? On, was was it your wedding night that this happened? Yeah, I did. I <laughs> I was creative all my life. You know, maybe that's my parents for for letting me read so much, but. Uh, Oh, yeah, I was, uh, as I tell my, you know, I actually overheard my wife tell her friends one time, he was a buck and bronco, and he threw me off about a hundred times, but I tamed him. <laughs> so, yeah, we were wild kids when we were younger, and, and uh, we, had a, we had a major party, and I got a little wound up when my buddies came in in their motorcycles, and we had a, a wheelie challenge, and and I lost. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Needless to say, you did not win. The <laughs> I did not win that that contest. Yep. Well, she must really, really care for you to spend her wedding night in an uh, emergency room getting checked out for that. That's an. I'd be interested to hear her tell that story, huh? Well, you know, she's got she's really got a great sense of humor. I mean, she's funny, funny. And somebody asked her, you know, what was that like? She said, "I've never stayed in a cleaner room." <laughs> 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 well, that's that, that is that is a great way to put a positive spin on things with with that. So, well, listen, Matt, I appreciate you taking the, the time to uh, to chat with us here. Uh, we're going to have to do it again. I think uh, 
uh, we can dive into maybe next time some of the issues of the day. I, as, you, as you told everyone earlier, you're still really involved in the industry, and I'd, I think you'd have some some awesome perspective on on the kind of the state of the golf course management industry now. Uh, but for now, I will uh, not keep you any further from the uh, from the the fishing line or your next book or whatever. And I'll just thank you for joining us, and we will do it again real soon. Thank you. It's an honor. Thank you very much. Thanks, Matt. Well, that's a wrap on episode 11, our greatest hits episode of the GCSA podcast. I want to thank Matt Schaefer for his time actually last fall, and I hope you enjoy that conversation. Matt's one of my favorites, so uh, a great conversation. So thank you to Matt Schaefer, and as always, a big shout out to the producer of this podcast, Mr. Evan Bissell, and all of our friends over at Bear Environmental Science who support this podcast as our presenting partner. We will be back in about a month's time with more on the GCSA podcast, episode 12. Imagine that, we've made it a year. But until then, until we do that, on behalf of everyone here at GCSA headquarters in Rainy Lawrence, Kansas, the nine members of GCSAA's National Board of Directors and the more than 18,000 members of the association worldwide, thanks for listening and we'll talk to you again soon on another episode of the GCSA podcast. Take care, everybody.